Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, continuing some fantasy football talk today. Remember to smash the like button for the episode and tell me which of these receivers, outside of the first round receivers from the actual NFL draft, do you think will have the biggest impact in fantasy football right away in 2020, presuming there's a season. Also, subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast leave a five-star review DraftKings handle something you like about the show boom you're in a draw for a hundred DraftKings dollars please go do that it's a currency that we're dealing with tell some friends too. give it a retweet you know we, we need more exposure in these times when no one is actually looking for sports content yeah. Jake Seaway from The Athletic is on the line. Jake, we broke off last show that we did. We talked about running backs and tight ends. And as it turned out, there was no tight ends to talk about in terms of rookies and making an impact this season on your fantasy football roster. We <laughs> ran through the gamut of running backs. And you can find the link to that show in the description of this podcast or video. Today, we're talking about wide receivers and quarterbacks. But there's two guys I actually want to start off with right away. Uh, Antonio Gibson on the skins is one. He's technically listed as a running back, but it, I would guess that he gets most of his run as a wide receiver this year i think so as well this this absurd christian mccaffrey stuff over the past couple if you've learned anything you've already drafted either before the draft you already had your draft whatever your draft is done you own antonio gibson go float him out there in trade offers because people are going berserk over this whole like oh they see him as the christian mccaffrey one thing he's not christian mccaffrey he's got similar skill set let's be real and I like Antonio Gibson. I do. And, but we were talking about the usage that he saw in college. Like there's a reason he was using that facet. He could be a Christian McCaffrey, but six, seven, eight touches a game. And that's valuable for a real life team. And that's valuable for the Redskins. And to your point, I think you see an opportunity where when Christian McCaffrey lines up the line of scrimmage, that's actually, I initially put Gibson at wide receiver, because if you look at this team, where do they need more help? They need more help at wide receiver. If, Geis is healthy. If Geis is healthy, it's Geis, Adrian Peterson. If Bryce Love is healthy, he's the new Chris Thompson. And then they brought in Peyton Barber and somebody else I even forget now. So they they, have. They brought in uh, my guy, JD McKissick. Oh, yeah. So they're a pass catching option. So they have depth and they're certainly trying to make this backfield into something. And a lot of it hinges on Geis finally being healthy. But with the help that they need, obviously, you're looking for Terry McLaurin, maybe Kelvin Harmon, Antonio Gandy Golden is somebody we'll talk about today. They need help at receiver. Either way, he's going to be used, but he's going to be better in real life than in fantasy. He's probably more of a deep flyer in PPR. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It would be like a PPR only play. Like Theo Riddick. A little bit, but you would hope that he would get more run on a consistent basis because not only could he go into the back, like split out wide, go into the backfield, maybe handle a few carries there, maybe they use him on some jet sweeps, but primarily he would just be a receiver. Yeah, and I would think of it that way as well. I mean, you kind of like, I think Theo Riddick with four or five rushes a game is kind of what you're hoping for. And you're going to have a lot of weeks where that doesn't pan out to much value. No, that's true. But you would hope that Gibson would be used more as a receiver. So if you could set a floor for his target share each and every week at you know, maybe five or something like that. And he's that's playing. What... But I, I, I understand that. But you would hope that those are all receiving routes, like lined up as a receiver, where Riddick's were just, he ran very few routes with the Lions. I mean, he ran some, but most of them were just dump offs or like, you know, blood screens out of the backfield. Right. If you can actually get Gibson running routes downfield, then those targets become inherently more valuable 
Yeah, I can see what you're saying. I don't think he'll ever be too far downfield, more than the intermediate route at best, but maybe some wheel routes get him downfield even more. But to your point, I, I definitely see what you're saying. It's funny because the Lynn Bowden, we didn't even touch on the last one. I initially put it put him at running back. I initially put Lynn Bowden at running back, and I put Gibson at wide receiver because similarly, where's the need? The need for the Raiders is in the backfield because outside of Josh Jacobs and Jalen Richard, your guy, there's not much back there. And so you can say that like Bowden, who's very, they're both guys who could be used in the passing game, used in the running game. Actually, Bowden could be used in the Taysom Hill role as a quarterback, even at times. But I kind of feel like they're going to see very similar work every single week. But I think that Bowden might skew a little bit more towards rushing and Gibson might skew more towards receiving. It's funny because I was looking at the position eligibility right off the hop to see where these guys were listed. I can actually see them ending up with dual at some point. Maybe some sites will listen a bit differently, but Gibson was listed as a running back and Bowden as a wide receiver. (laughs) So it's exactly the opposite. Yeah. What they, what their needs are, but honestly, let them have dual eligibility. Like what's the problem if they do, who cares? Yeah, like it, it'd be one thing if it was like, oh, Christian McCaffrey is a running back or wide receiver. It's like, well, no, he's not. He's a running back, uh, and he's the number one player in fantasy. Then it would become a bit of an issue because you could jury rig your lineup, be like, oh, well, you know, I have depth at running back, but now I can just play three studs, but play one of them at receiver kind of thing. I can see where <laughs> people get like triggered about this kind of thing, but I'm with you. I personally don't yeah. give a shit. <laughs> no, it's like when Marcus Colson came out of college and was listed at tight end on, I think, Yahoo. That's that's you know then you can get upset. Yeah, that was a bit of a cheat code, but that also <laughs> played in, and that was actually a really good year. Like that's the one thing people don't know how to assess, even still to this day. Like twelve years ago with Marcus Colson, was it twenty? No, it was way more than that. Two thousand six, two thousand seven, whenever it was. I remember I trading like someone else had picked up Marcus Colson because he was like a nobody coming into the draft. Like no one drafted him. Someone picked him up after week Seventh one, round. and they had no. I mean, like in fantasy drafts. Oh, you're right. Yeah, it's not like, oh, he's tight end three on the board. No, he was just some guy (laughs) on the waiver wire after week one. Someone picked him up, and I looked at it, and I was like, he is, if he's actually going to play receiver but have tight end eligibility, like, he's basically a first-round pick because of the value that you get out of him. So I actually just made a halfway decent offer for him, got him immediately, and just ran train on people at tight end (laughs) the entire year. It was like Colston, Tony G, and Gates. But, like, no one thought of Colston that way, but – Extra position eligibility is still one of the parts that's not exploited enough because it happens so infrequently. People don't really know how to gauge that value in fantasy, but it can be so tremendous that people just don't see how valuable it really is. Oh, 100%. You just get that appeal. But I think the problem in fantasy is that rarely do you get it where it makes sense to even care. Like Colston's this outlier because he was at tight end specifically. The biggest thing would be like if any of these guys like Gibson or Bowden or anybody ended up with tight end eligibility, then the value would be through the roof. Or somebody that was seeing so much work at running back that was also eligible at wide receiver. So it's it's kind of that waterfall of like you don't really care. I mean, you could throw running back eligibility on anybody. You don't really care. Uh, obviously quarterback we're not talking about, but you can make a tight end running back eligible. You don't care. You make a wide receiver running back eligible. You don't care. Uh, but if a running back gets one of those, and I think that's where we're looking and it just happens so infrequently that it doesn't ever really matter. 
the last one I can really remember like this that was it wasn't really a cheat code because he wasn't very good, but he was still a very capable wide receiver three. Were like the four weeks Joe Webb started at quarterback but had wide receiver <laughs> eligibility. I see that that's the problem. Like a quarterback gets eligibility at another position and still plays the quarterback position, like actually starts. Yeah, that's a problem too. <laughs> but that that was worth so much just to be like, oh, I could pick up Jamison Crowder off the waiver wire or whoever it was that year, or just play Joe Webb who's under center. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Which is funny that, you know, that's how poor he played a lot of times that you had that conversation. And I remember the conversation with like a super flex, like this is a completely separate, but like if rookie season, Jared golf versus wide receiver three, <laughs> and I was like, I'll play a wide receiver three over golf. Well, let's get into the actual guys that you might want to draft this year. So the big three, I guess, as we're looking at it, as it pertains to wide receiver fantasy rankings for the year, it's probably Judy. It's probably lamb. And I'm going to guess it's Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson might be the best year one fantasy option of all these guys. Maybe Regor as well. Mm, you didn't even mention the one. It's, it's Henry Ruggs for me. I'm, I'm Henry Ruggs. Really? Yes. hundred percent. I, I, I like, I will say no for me. Cause I don't think that what he does well, that Las Vegas is going to be able to exploit. No, see, that's the, and that's what I think everybody's falling into the trap with is Henry Ruggs only does one thing well, and he doesn't. He does a lot of things well, and people underestimate how good he can be over the middle of the field, how good his hands are, how good of a receiver he just is, period. And I think that's what a lot of people are missing because he's so good downfield. They miss that he's good at everything. Like, it's almost kind of like if you want to grade him at a 10 out of 10 being downfield, People overlook that, okay, maybe he's only a 7 out of 10 in the intermediate routes and over the middle of the field, but 7 out of 10 is still better than the majority of wide receivers in an NFL draft. Like, okay, no, it's not as good as KJ Hamler. Like, you know, that type of stuff. But he's getting so underrated in what he can do all around that people are just like, well, Derek Carr doesn't throw a deep ball. Derek Carr doesn't do this. And actually, Derek Carr's deep ball percentage, and you talk about completions and yards and stuff like that, wasn't bad. It's, it's Look, it's not top 10. It's not top of the class. It's not detrimental so much that Henry Ruggs is seeing a like a downgrade by going to this team. He can be a number one wide receiver in the NFL as a number one wide receiver, and he will be the number one for the Raiders. I would take Ruggs. I understand the argument for others, and I'm not saying I'm 100% right and everybody else is wrong. And especially when you talk about fantasy, I actually have Jefferson. I have all four of them inside the top 10 just on rookies alone. Jefferson would be kind of in that conversation because of the volume that you see with the Vikings, but I'm still putting rugs number one. So as it pertains to dynasty drafts, and if you were just doing an overall rookie draft, you get to keep these guys for an extended amount of time. Would it still be rugs in that way? Yeah, actually for pure dynasty, I have the three running backs and then rugs at four Judy at five lamb at seven Jefferson at nine. That's my pure dynasty rookies only who comes after that at wide receiver for you. Just, just wide receivers. Ayuk uh, at 11, Rager at 12, Pittman at 13, back to back to back. So no Higgins, no Mims in that mix? No, Higgins is 15, Mims is 19. Mims, so Mims is the concern everybody has for Ruggs. He's just a deep threat. He steps into the Robbie Anderson role, but the thing, the problem I have with Mims, and people should just go back and watch the tape, and I'm not saying he can't correct this because I'd rather fix what I'm about to say than somebody who just can't run routes, but Problem with Mims is he's a big he's a big play. That's what you want with him. That's his skill set. He runs into coverage too much. I I think I mentioned this either on your show or somebody's is that when he's running downfield, I watched one series where he ran into the defender three times in a row. I thought two of the plays were running plays. I thought he was running up to block. All three of them were passing plays. And I'm watching. I'm like, what the hell is he doing? Stop running into coverage. Again, you can correct that, but you can't be a deep threat and 
initiating like he it's like almost he's trying to like big body guys and he doesn't need to and if he's doing that in the nfl he's gonna get jammed non-stop and the big stat coming out on mimsy from college was oh he has such <laughs> a high dude, a high percentage of contested catch rates like well i just prefer my guy be open and that's the thing he creates some of those contested catches it's such a good thing to bring up with that it just seems nonsensical to me, but maybe he'll get maybe, maybe coaching aficionado Adam Gase will have that figured out <laughs> as he continues to find ways. Frank Gore is back, baby. Get Le'Veon Bell off this damn team. <laughs> yeah, what do you what do you make of Gore? Do you think that takes away anything from Bell? Because I can because I mean Gase was with Gore in Miami, so he at least has an affinity for him. Part of the Part of the appeal of Le'Veon Bell in fantasy is, A, he's coming off a bad year where he'd rather be bowling than actually be playing. So everyone's kind of down on Le'Veon Bell at the moment, but if he's still the guy for the Jets, he's probably like a fringe top 10 guy. Yeah, I put him more like the 15 to 20 range. Sure, but even if he is. Maybe so, but like how many many running backs can we count on? And this would all be like the whole like fringe top 10 would be predicated on he gets all the carries. And if he is one of let's say 13 running backs who get all the carries for their team. Like he would have, he like, there's really no difference between him and Fournette really. Even if Fournette, Mm. well, the difference could be that Fournette might not be on a team by the time the season comes along. (laughs) No, but Fournette was also more productive. I mean, Le'Veon Bell essentially got all the touches last year and finished RB 18. So, you know, yeah, we could argue and say maybe he improves, but he wasn't that bad last year and he was just more middling consistent. Like he never had a big week. He never really truly fell on his face and gave you like three points, but I don't even think he hit 20 points last year. But my thing with Le'Veon Bell is for the Frank Gore signing, since we're talking about that, it's not Frank Gore that really worries me with Le'Veon Bell. It's more for the Michael Pirine is I actually thought that he would be a great handcuff. I do think Gore is kind of in there to help coach up here Ryan but maybe maybe like if something happened to Le'Veon Bell it's not all like P. Ryan seeing 60% of the work now now it's Frank Gore and he only gets sprinkled in yeah Bell had a disastrous season last year in in do not to use a Tim Andercust argument on this one but the weeks <laughs> where Darnold was out he was especially bad <laughs> Well, oh, so Sam Darnold, MVP. Yeah, he just he just <laughs> elevates the game. Like, who was the idiot that they were playing? Falk, that was the guy? Yeah. yeah. He, Luke Falk. He, he was not good. <laughs> <laughs> he was, no, they, there's a lot of options that they have were not good. <laughs> All right, so let's talk. I don't even know that Sam Darnold's that good. No, neither do I. I mean, I, I'm more or less hoping that he's really bad, but it, I call, I, and I actually am dead serious about this. I told Cust on Monday's show that, I feel like the upside for Darnold is Jay Cutler. Like, that's just who he reminds me of in terms of, like, the inconsistent. Like, he'll make one of these throws every 20 times. You're like, oh, my God. Like, no one else could have made that throw except for this guy. And then, like, the next 19 passes are, like, going to be picked off probably. I should I should have consulted you when he came out of college because I think I said I see his upside as kind of like an erratic Andy Dalton, but Jay Cutler's even better because that's who Jay Cutler is. Yeah. So rest of the receivers, uh, if we go to the very top, let's talk uh, redraft here because we, you know, we we just went through like your dynasty rankings, your rookie draft rankings. Jerry yeah. Judy in Denver year one. What do you see? I So that's funny. I have him at back-to-back with Lamb at 41 and 42. I have Lamb just in front of him. It's a great opportunity for next year and going forward and you know this is great for the team specifically and this is 
we know what the Broncos did. The Broncos said here, oh, my Siri opened. What the hell? I didn't even say a word with Siri in it. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, the Broncos made this clear. He's like, we're going to make Drew Locke work. And if Drew Locke doesn't work, he might be gone. Actually, John Elway might be the one carrying his bags out the door uh, at this point. But Jerry Judy is in a great opportunity to succeed in the NFL. Is he great for fantasy? Probably not year one and probably not even a consistent level, even if this works out because you have Cortland Sutton, who you could even ding a little bit because of Judy and KJ Hamler and Noah Fant and this backfield of Melvin Gordon, who's a decent pass catcher, Phil Lindsay, who's a really good pass catcher. This is set up. they're, They're trying to compete with the Chiefs, but at the same time, the cliche of there's only one ball actually does come into play here because even if Drew Locke attempts 650 passes, which would be absurd, it's just so much going around here that unless he turns into Jared Goff, which the, I want to segue real quick onto him because everybody says this every single year. How do you have Higby as a top whatever tight end, two wide receivers in the top 20, but you have Jared Goff at QB 18? How do you have three wide receivers inside the top 30, but Goff, it's because he funnels to three people. We like that for fantasy. So the best case scenario here is that Locke funnels into three people. If it's Fant, Judy, and Sutton, great. If it's the three wide receivers, if Fant gets left out, unfortunately, somebody needs to be left out for us to feel safe. And that's why I said it's a good opportunity, but Judy could just be, hey, I'm good this week. Don't look for me again for another four weeks. Hey, I'm back again, and you're just kind of always missing it. So that's almost one of the reasons, unless you think that Denver's offense is just going to be electric and the aerial attack of the century, which I do not, then Lamb might be the better redraft option for this year because it all, it's almost like how Gallup had so much value last year and like even his consistency, it wasn't he wasn't the most consistent player in the league, but it was better than you might think that it was because the efficiency of that offense is so high that I think Lamb doesn't need to do much every single week, yet still contribute fantasy-wise, where with Judy, because of that offense, because of the running game, because of the other options, and Drew Locke, not Dak Prescott throwing you the ball, is that he's going to need more volume than anything to overcome a lot of this in fantasy. Yeah, and I completely agree, and I do have Lamb just in front of Judy, and I think that even if he is the third, working on the slot, whatever it might be, the thing that I kept going back to and I think about is similar to golf let's let's go to mike mccarthy and his offense go back to aaron Rodgers and some of those peak years where you had two wide receivers for the packers in wide receiver one territory and the other in the three like with the james jones and randall cobbs and jordy nelson's of the world those that like this can be done the thing about the mccarthy offense is if you notice back then even especially it was rarely a tight end evolved so i think the lamb coming in really hurts blake jarwin the breakout that everybody wanted to see despite the money that they gave him and that you see is the three wide receivers, very similar to what they ran with the Packers back in the day. And whether or not that changes a little bit, but that's where I'm with you on this, is that even though Lamb essentially is his number three and Judy's essentially the number two, there's still similar competition. You can argue even more competition with the Broncos, so you go to your point and the default of which is the more efficient offense, which is the better quarterback, and that's why I would lean with Lamb. They also, for at least one year, threw a whole lot to my guy, your fucking Mike before you know he went away forever remember when he caught the two balls at once and everyone was like oh my god you're michael finley <laughs> i really saw that clip for like 18 weeks i think it was like a yahoo clip it was just on the front page forever people were like this guy should be a first round fantasy pick because he can catch two balls at the same time who was the wide receiver that had the balls in both hand and caught the ball with the balls Oh, I've never seen that one for the long. I assume if it's if it's something outrageous and it was a wide receiver and it was the highest degree of difficulty, I'm going to guess it was Brandon Lloyd. 
Oh, I thought you were going to say, <laughs> that's a good one. I thought you were going to say Odell Beckham. No, Brandon Lloyd has never made an easy catch in his entire career, but most difficult, he made 100% of those. Because he tries to make him most difficult. He's that guy that like plays tip drill in the game. <laughs> yeah. So Judy and Lamb, you probably don't need to draft these guys in redraft, do you? Mm, uh, like, I have them both in the 40s. And when we're talking about it, so what I kept preaching, we already did an early mock for six rounds. The wide receivers after six rounds. Now, mind you, there was no team that had more than three running backs. We did actually see five, four or five quarterbacks go off the board. Seven tight ends go off the board in six rounds for an expert what? draft. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Seven tight ends in the first six rounds? How many teams were there? Yes. 30? 12. Seven tight ends? Yeah. The See, big seven. That's, 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 that's too many. That's too many. <laughs> I'm just telling, like, well, okay. Obviously, we had, I'm going to try to pull it up for uh, you. Look, but- look, I can try to guess who they were. It's going to be Kelsey. Like, guess. It's going to be, it's going to be Kelsey. It's going to be Kittle. Yeah. Ertz. Right. Waller. Right. Right. Ingram. Andrews. Andrews. That's six. One more. Uh, there's a guy I know. Fuck, who's going to be? I wish I, I wish I was looking at something where I could figure this out right now. It's a very obvious one, isn't it? Uh, I th- if it's the one, I think it's where he went. I'm going to check real quick. I think I already said his name. Gronk? No. Really? I did say his name. He was actually the he was the final pick of the draft. Who was I already it? said his name. Higby. Really? You would draft Higby in the first six rounds of a 12-team fantasy draft? I didn't draft him. I'm just, I didn't draft a single tight. Um, yeah, I didn't even draft would, a single tight end. Would you rather? Yeah, because you don't need to. Because you can, apparently, you can just get Gronk in the last round. <laughs> whoa, 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 wait, hold on. Let me, let me, we'll come back to that. I just want to make this point real quick because about the wide receiver depth. So we had six rounds. It was actually, yeah, one, two, three, seven tight ends, four quarterbacks, nobody with more than three running backs. And yet, Jarvis Landry, Julian Edelman, the both rookies we we're just talking about, Sterling Shepard, like wide receiver is ridiculous ridiculous this year for what you can find and that's why i was saying is because well i have them both in the 40s like these are long names of like preston williams john brown brandon cooks alan lazard you know anthony miller like marvin jones that that, that's 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 the name that i wanted to hit on right now because i think for me if i was doing a draft this year which i will be doing at some point that (laughs) i would take anthony miller over judy and lamb and i'd probably get him five rounds later and I love what happened with that because they didn't really bring in much competition for him at all. Um, Anthony Miller, Ted Ginn, Jake, <laughs> Ted Ginn, and don't forget they uh, it was Jimmy Graham, and then they drafted Cole Komet for you know, which we talked about on the tight ends. Look, Anthony Miller finally hit on what everybody wanted Anthony Miller to be. Looked really good. Showed how smooth he is on the field at the end of the season. And people seem to have forgotten four months since then that Anthony Miller finally hit at the end of the year. And I don't understand why. I'm 100% with you, Pat. I'm gonna, I have a ton of Anthony Miller next year. Yeah, I just think that he's going to be a very solid pick and where these other names are so flashy that I, I'm trying to think of the rookies that I would actually take and redraft over him. You're higher on rugs than I am, so you would take rugs over him. But I, I think for me, like when it comes to redraft, it's Jefferson and Regor. That's like, it. Kind of really stick out as the two options that just have – they're in the best positions to produce fantasy-wise from the get-go. Does that mean they're the best wide receivers in this class? No, but we're, we're not doing a NFL draft. We're doing a fucking fantasy draft. Yeah, I, have Jeff, I actually have Jefferson at 35. I think that's just – and that might end up being too low just from the pure volume standpoint because there's really nothing there for competition. Just, it really just comes down to, with no Stefanski here, does this offense start passing like it used to a little bit more? 
I have a ton of Thielen. I'm going to love some Thielen this year, but you know, his, his price might get too high just because of the same reason everybody's saying, but yeah, I have Jefferson at 35 and then I actually, Anthony Miller is right there with CD lamb and Judy. And I'm with you. I would take Anthony Miller over them, especially with everybody talks about Michael Gallup at the end of the year. And nobody talks about Anthony Miller. You know why? Because one of them had Mitch Trubisky. And one of them plays for the Dallas Cowboys and not to say that the bears aren't a big market team. Just no, no one really cares about the bears right now. No, no, certainly nobody does. I'm looking right now where I've, yeah, I've regular way down. I have, mostly right now because I don't know what the Eagles are doing. Is Deshaun Jackson done? Then I'll move Rager up. But right now they just said, you know, they said Alshon Jeffrey. We expect big things out of him. And of course, Alshon Jeffrey's injury prone as they come right now. But Alshon Jeffrey's still the number one. If Deshaun Jackson is on this team, he's essentially still the number two. So now you're coming down to Rager, who should, you know, honestly, talent wise, should be number two, probably with what Deshaun Jackson is at this point of his career. But he's going to be battling just so many people just for they drafted more additional pieces we haven't even talked about yet, uh, which a lot of people like one of those picks. Uh, you have other options here where you are we writing off Ortega Whiteside after one year, which I think is kind of crazy to do. I know he looked terrible, but the entire industry, I don't for, find me somebody who was that down on Ortega Whiteside. The entire industry, the NFL fantasy community, everybody liked him last year. And everybody's just like, oh, he's completely trash after one year. Just like Nikhil Harry. Like, let's give him a second year. There's a lot of options on this team where I just don't know that anybody, similar to the Jaguars, I don't know that anybody steps up and really dominates the number two share. So, Regor, John Hightower, and Quez Watkins. I hope it's Quez Watkins who's good. And they're all, but you see this thing, Hightower and Quez Watkins are both, I mean, they're essentially like Will Fuller types, just go downfield and beat the crap out of the defense. So the, the, they're the Deshaun Jackson insurance. And so, but so is Rager. I, I've joked about it. As soon as it was even before the Watkins pick, I said, this team's just going to be running four verts every single week. And we know that they like to play the big package with Ertz and uh, Goddard on the field at the same time anyway. Right. I mean, how many, this is, you go back to the Broncos. You can't, <laughs> you can't throw two balls at once. Unfortunately, Brandon Lloyd's not out there to catch two or not. Uh, Michael <laughs> Finley's not out there to catch two. So, okay. So maybe I'll move Regor down where I had him a little bit. That brings us to Ayuk and Mims and Higgins in terms of redraft. Mimsy. Mimsy. Um, Mims could have value this year in redraft as much as I hate the jets, as you know, that Mims is in a very nice position for a bit of volume. Like you mentioned, he might just be the speed guy down the field guy, but if he can just do what, I mean, we all over projected what Robbie Anderson may have been capable of doing, but if he can be like 80% of the numbers that Robbie Anderson put up, like Robbie Anderson had some big weeks. Right. But that's what you're going to have to do. It's similar to a Will Fuller type. The Sean Jackson has good days. It, you want him as your wide receiver for nothing more. And if you do play him, you're just going to want to put him out there. Like you're not, don't try and predict it. Don't try and say, all right, well, he's facing a corner that's got four, four speed or this defense like, you know, dominates the pass and weak against the run. Cause you're going to miss the good games. And then when you're trying to nitpick and find it the good way, then you're going to plug him in there for three straight three point performances. If he's your wide receiver four, similar to like Deshaun Jackson, similar to Will Fuller and stuff like when they're your wide receiver four, having that upside, you and I talk about this a lot. As your four, that's where you want this because you can absorb those bad weeks because your team's strong enough before that that you want that high upside guy in the wide receiver four position. You don't want the guy that averages six and a half points every single week, but that's where he needs to be. And you just need to throw him out there because if you, again, if you try to play mix and match, similar to our favorite tight end of all time that you and I both gotta hate the guy is jared cook just if you if you were dumb enough to draft him just put him out there every damn week because you're not going to be able to figure it out 
these are and to me and this is really where the difference between season-long fantasy football and like playing on DraftKings really comes into it like Mims is a guy that you probably want to use on DraftKings a lot just use him every single week because if he does hit at least you win like substantial money for it you don't like lose your weekly (laughs) matchup (laughs) right that's a good point yeah just throw out a roster of like Robbie Anderson Rager Mims and Henry Ruggs every those are your four wide receivers every week so what do we do with T Higgins here? Cause obviously he's going to be behind AJ green. If, if granted AJ green signs and plays, he might hold out for all we know. Boyd is going to be the number two that I yes. guess it's Higgins. Cause they declined the fifth year option on John Ross. I assume they use him for gadget plays, deep shots, and just basically tell him to sit on the bench. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he should be essentially the number three. One of the things that I do have concerns about is similar to me. Like, I'm glad we're talking about Mims too, because I don't dislike Higgins or Mims, but I think those two wide receivers of the t- of the wide receivers like inside the top 10 for me tiers to be in tier three or higher of those guys. I think those are two of the ones that have the bigger bust potential. So I wouldn't be surprised if Higgins bust. I don't think he will, but I'm with you in the fact that I don't even just think as of today, it's green and Boyd. You know, if green stuck around for one more year next year, you know, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying if green was on this team next year and it was Tyler Boyd, I still think Higgins would be the number three again next year. And that's my point is I think he's got to get past both of them for this year. And as a rookie with Joe Burrow, who is a rookie, there's a lot here working against Higgins in his favor. Now, if he hit, wouldn't it be a shock, but I would just say not this year. This is more thinking 2021 and beyond. How about Ayuk with the 49ers? Do you see shades of, do do you, do you see like, you prefer him over Higgins and Mims? Yes. This year or redraft or both? Or uh, Dynasty or both? Both. All across the board. So he's presumably like, what are the chances that he is anything better than the third receiving option on this team? He doesn't need to be. But the the difference here is this number three is it's a clear number three, similar to we're talking about the situation with like the Rams. There's a like clear number three, like Higgins, to your point, Ross still might be involved. Now, of course, that could all change. And Joe Burrow could look even better than the 49ers offense. So that's where, you know, again, I would be shocked if it worked for Higgins. Mims, it's the roller coaster ride. I think we're going to see at the end of the year, if Mims finishes in front of Ayuk, not a shock. And I think they'll finish close, but it's the roller coaster ride of Mims where I would rather have the consistency of Ayuk, even being the number three. He's the clear, like, there's nobody else. Like Pettis might not even be on this team. They tried it and they got rid of Goodwin like this. It's Ayuk's role. And what Ayuk brings to this team is kind of like Debo can be his role over the middle. Kill can just be what Kittle is. And Ayuk brings some outside presence and some deep play presence that necessarily is something they've been looking for. That's why they had Goodwin on this team. That's why they're trying to mess around with those kind of guys. Kendrick Bourne. And, you know, of course, he could fall on his face like anybody can. But I think as of right now, he's got a very clear role in those three combined, those three make a very nice trio for Garoppolo going forward. I've heard a lot of early buzz about Pittman in Indianapolis, but yeah. I think we forget my guy, the Frenchman, the two Frenchmen. <laughs> we got Zach Pascal and Pali Campbell. <laughs> Campbell was what, a second round pick last year? Yeah. So here's the difference though. Paris Campbell is middle of the field. He's their slot option, which is fine. That could be great. And honestly, could outperform Pittman just because of where Rivers is looking. You know, remember Keenan Allen essentially kind of a big slot role. Maybe Paris Campbell. We before the draft, you and I were both on Paris Campbell. I was saying like Paris Campbell could have some real sneaky value if he's healthy next year. 
where you're hearing the talk up is you're hearing the talk up coming from the Colts and saying they can see Pittman as the X. Now, for people out there, the X wide receiver is your number one. He's the one that's not moving in motion. He's the one where you see three wide and one's on the side of the field by himself matching, and he has to take the top corner usually on one-on-one. That's the X, and that's what they see in Pittman, which should tell you how they feel about him. Now, to your point, if you're asking a rookie wide receiver who wasn't a tier one wide receiver to step in as great as an opportunity this is, seeing top corners, being on the island, quote-unquote, out there by himself, Paris Campbell could easily outproduce Pittman for this year specifically. Do you like Pittman more long-term? I could argue there's a case for it. But for this year specifically, yes, I would still take Campbell, assuming he's healthy. And what does this do to Zach Pascal in this offense? Is he just done? Or is all of a sudden we're going to look and it's like, oh, Pascal is starting opposite T.Y. and this is just how it is. Uh, And that would be a shock. I mean, if you're going to thrust Pittman into that, now maybe they don't do it, and hopefully they don't because that's a lot to ask of a rookie, let alone you. Maybe we were talking like lamb and rugs to throw them out as the X. But maybe they do that, and they just Pittman shows the concerns that you have with Pittman, and then they say, you know what? He still needs a little bit more work. We want him to be the X. Let's work him into that role. And Pascal is starting outside, and they kind of put Hilton back in that role at times and still move him around. But there's not, you know, Pascal's not dead. You know, if you're at the deep draft, you're at the end of the rounds, you want to throw a flyer on him. Certainly not. He's at worst case, he's the number four. Might even be the number three if Paris Campbell can't come back healthy. And maybe they move Hilton. They just play Hilton out of the slot the entire time where, you know, he's proven to be more dangerous. And they also just signed Trey Burton to go along with Jack Doyle that you can't yeah. overlook. <laughs> I know it just... It's weird because it was kind of like Ebron and Doyle, where Doyle would pile up all these like just little minimal receptions in between basically the five and five. And when they got in close, Ebron would just steal all of the touchdowns. Like that's going to take away from the rest of the offense. Is I mean, is Trey Burton's body even a hundred percent though? I have no idea. I mean, I figured <laughs> he if he signed, then probably. I don't know. I don't even know if he's, I thought there was questions. I'm going to see if I can pull it up. I thought there was questions whether or not he was even going to be healthy to start the season. I thought so too. But then all of a sudden just, he got signed. I was like, Oh, I mean, he's signed. Let's see. He was, uh, Oh, he's missed. He was saying he was misdiagnosed with the injury before the two. I didn't miss that one. When did that come out last week? One year contract. Yeah. I mean, maybe he is okay. And then he's just know. then he's just a body on the field taking away targets. <laughs> that that's my main that's my main concern about him as it pertains to Doyle and as it pertains to the rest of the receivers. I was thinking more like I wanted to make a joke. His body's on the floor instead. Oh boy! Let the bodies hit the floor. Oh yeah, bodies hit the floor. I mean, if you were programming, <laughs> if you were programming WWF entrance music in the mid two thousands, like you would be <laughs> was, come on, on top of you. Ex- I know ex- you see, you knew exactly what I was talking about. Of course I do. I remember stuff sometimes. Uh, anyone else you think we should kind of get to here? How about Chase Claypool? What are his chances of breaching into the Steelers' offense? Uh, that's better than zero, but I still don't think that James Washington is dead and James Washington's biggest competition. I still think is Deontay Johnson. They're they're not exactly the same wide receiver to be clear, but the number two role is still up for grabs is what I'm saying. Now, Johnson probably has the leg up on everybody right now. And if he takes it, no shock, him and Juju Smith Schuster, number three, still going to have value, especially because people don't forget if Roethlisberger is even 90% 90% of what he was before he got hurt. Well, right before he got hurt, he just came off a season of throwing for 5,000 yards. So Ben Roethlisberger in this offense, the three can certainly have value. The fourth might even have some value. So if it's James Washington, you're liking those three. Claypool, I wasn't high on Claypool as I was for Miles Boykin last year, despite people like to draw the similarities. 
The difference I have is Claypool can't separate very well right now. And that's why there was the talk of whether or not a team should move him to tight end. And, you know, this team right now has two tight end options. They even brought one in for Vance McDonald that can't stay healthy. So I don't know that they necessarily start to use him in like a hybrid tight end role. They, it wouldn't shock me if they did. And then maybe you see some value, but he could honestly step into the number three. But if the number three role for Claypool right out of the gate, I feel is like a chain mover, short yard, red zone, which is that's what you appeal. But now you're banking on a low reception total, hopefully getting the touchdowns where you could see like a, a 40 reception, 650 yards, seven touchdown season. And that's going to be very hard to predict in fantasy. Were you surprised the Rams spent a second-round pick on Van Jefferson after just saying, oh, we like Josh Reynolds. It gave us the ability to get rid of Brandon Cooks. And then you go immediately go draft another receiver? So I'm not shocked because it's good value for them. I'm, I'm more concerned because now you have Josh Reynolds and Van Jefferson, and more so Jefferson than Reynolds in my opinion. But all three of them, and I'm about to say the third, Cooper Cup, Kind of play similar roles. Like right now, you feel best about Robert Woods. His roles, he's got almost zero competition. So now you're down to what did we say about before about this offense? You get it's three wide receivers before the tight ends were even involved. It was that's why you were okay with all three wide receivers being inside the top 30. Well, Brandon Cooks is gone. So yay. Well, don't forget Tyler Higby went bananas at the end of the year. Cooper Cup had a big game with Higby at the end of the year. So I'm not saying Cooper Cup's in trouble per se. I'm just saying if anybody's in danger here. Cooper Cup's got the competition from Reynolds and Jefferson, not Woods, not Higby. So that's where I'm slightly concerned. I don't think Jefferson does much. Jefferson has to get past Reynolds. But I'm starting to, you know, because Cup started coming off the field a little bit too much where he wasn't out there like 80, 90% like they were for that first 10 to 12 games. I don't really. I, I worry about how, like, when you did that uh, draft where Tyler Higby went third overall or whatever it was, where did Cup go in that draft? <laughs> He didn't go third. That's the last pick of the sixth round. Oh, I gotta pull it back up now. Third overall. Uh, let me see where Cup went. Uh, I feel like he went at almost the end of the second round. He was the 12, 11, ninth pick of the twelfth round. So he's gonna be in that mix with like Keenan Allen, Cortland Sutton, T.Y. In Hilton, front of both of them, A.J. Brett. No, just like where he's going around. I would guess. Like he never, yeah, he, like, he, he never took that. Like when Brandon Cooks first left, there was the th talk about like, oh, Cup's going to be like a top five receiver, but no one actually wanted to do that. So he's going to stick around, back end wide receiver one, high end wide receiver two for fantasy purposes. Putting him in like anywhere from receiver ten to eighteen is where he'll be drafted, basically. Right, and you know where he finished last year, right? He finished inside the top ten last year, didn't he? Inside the top five, he had a, t a touchdown in every single one of the final. I think five or six games and again i love like i was hey i'll self-backpat this one i was one of the highest people i remember being on cooper cup coming out of college so i love seeing this but i'm saying that to say i love cooper cup i love that i was right about cooper cup but i still can't ignore the snap counts and that's my biggest concern is i don't know what sean McVay was doing cup was still highly productive in that but i'll liken it to another thing we talk about at running back a lot with aaron jones he's super productive on a per touch basis but you still have to be cognizant of the snap count can affect you. What did you say to me right before we came on the show? I don't care about running backs. I, I don't care about their metrics, blah, blah, blah. I want to see the carries. I want to see the snap count for wide receivers. And if they're going to start dicking around with cup in the 60 to 70% range. That's a concern. Yeah. To end the season last year, cup, he got hurt in that Pittsburgh game. Didn't he? 
If I my memory I so. my memory serves me right. So. Or he just did nothing. He had no catch he had no catches on four targets. But <laughs> after that, three targets, ten, six, four, six, four, ten. And he scored the touchdown in the final five games. So that really kind of carried him. It's hard. Listen, someone like Devontae Adams, he's going to score a lot of touchdowns. Maybe Cooper Cup is in that same sort of category where regardless of what he does, he's always going to be a red zone presence, and that's who they're going to go to. But I don't know. Like The efficiency numbers are so off. And it's not like the yardage was good. 31 yards, 41 yards, 45 yards. You take away those touchdowns, and he's like a bad receiver. Yeah, and I'm looking right now. Uh was it week 14? That's when he got hurt. Was that the week? Uh, no, I think it was way earlier than that. Something at the end of November. I just remember being in. It was. Oh, yeah, it was. Wait, so I, I just pulled it. So week 14. Now, maybe if that's the week that he got hurt. It's 29%. He was 72% in week 13. It jumped back up in week 15 to 90%. Week 16, he was back down again to 59%. Oh, no, 61%. So for those final five games, he's jumping around with like 50 60 percent now, maybe, that's what now, I'm saying. now maybe, maybe that had something to do with the injury maybe that's and all that I, was. you're right and that's what yeah that's where i was going with that yeah and like in to look at his beginning of the season is like oh this is what a guy who's drafted as a top five wide receiver does 10 9 12 15 17 targets like that's what we want right. to see right and as of right now i have cooper cup like in my top 10 with galladay and Allen robinson a lot can happen between now and the start of the football season but I'm hoping that that's not the case. I just want to throw that out there for the slight concerns because we were talking about Van Jefferson. So is there any other receiver that you think that we should talk about? I mean, I know you can talk about all these guys, but like the Jacksonville guys, do you see? (laughs) It's one thing to say, oh, Jacksonville has opportunity. Jacksonville is going to be bad. Jacksonville is going to be throwing. But outside of Chark and Westbrook, like, is anyone really going to come up and just take target shares away? No, that's I don't even know if it's Westbrook, and that's why I'm not super high on Chenault as a rookie. I like Chenault, and I like this opportunity, but that's more for next year because I really feel like it's going to be Chark and company, and I'm pretty sure either when they took the pick or in my post-draft write-up, I pretty much said that. It's like, and wide receiver by committee. Westbrook, Cole's still hanging around. Chris Conley's still there. They drafted Chenault. I mean, there's a lot, and it's just going to be every single week, it's going to be some type of mix of those guys where it's Chark is the number one, None of those guys replicate what he brings to the field. So you can kind of treat him. You know what? I'll bring it to like kind of like the Bears, you know, with last year. With Allen Robinson is just going to see that target share in the twenty mid-20s potentially every single week. And then Gabriel, Anthony Miller, somebody else mixed in there, Carl Patterson the one week. So I kind of think that's what you're going to get from Jacksonville, where I, as of right now, might lean D.D. Westbrook. But we saw at times – where there wasn't that rapport, and granted he was a rookie, but we didn't see that rapport with Gardner Minshew, and we actually saw it more with Chris Conley at times. So I think it's Chark and company this year. All right, let's switch to quarterbacks. Your dynasty rankings for quarterbacks. Obviously, Burrow is going to be number one, but where does he go if you're doing a dynasty draft? And where does he go if you're doing like a rookie redraft? Hold on one second. <laughs> Get out of there. She's che- she's chewing on my power cord. I'm going to punch her in the face. Oh, yeah. Don't 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 punch the dog and make sure that the dog doesn't eat through the power <laughs> you, cord. You know I would never do that. I, I know. Don't think I've ever hit, I don't think I've ever even tapped her. All right. Go ahead. I just want to make sure it's like that's an expensive one too. It's like a 12-foot cord for my iPhone that I take when I travel. <laughs> so I see so you're not like that person who plugs the power cord into itself and then figure out why it has no energy. 
yeah, exactly. It's a power <laughs> cord. It's supposed to do that stuff. All right, let's talk about. Do you want to? Do you want to re-ask? No, or? no, we'll leave it in. We always need a Barkley cameo <laughs> during the show, and you now you get to be on record as someone who doesn't hit dogs, so it really works out well. Yeah, I, was, I love this dog so much. Uh, anyway, QB dynasty. Like, okay, Burrow in dynasty. If you're just or in a rookie draft, let's say, let's start there. Burrow versus the running backs, the receivers, and tight ends in this class. Where does he go in a rookie redraft? So he probably goes a little bit higher than I have him at ten, just on all rookies. Uh, he probably goes a little bit higher than that because there's probably you got to assume, especially if you have a losing record and you're at the high point of the rookie draft, somebody needs quarterback help. Uh, if you're in a one quarterback, he might slip to 10. Uh, but if you're in a super flex, he's probably going number 101. And there's no question about that. And two is probably going 103, 104. Uh, but in what? I, I hear you about to ask a question. No, <laughs> I wasn't actually. Oh, oh it sounded I, like I, I, I was just listening. Okay. So for me, Burrow would slide to 10. I, I mentioned, so I have five running backs. I have Edwards, Hilaire, Taylor, Swift, Dobbins, Akers. They go one through eight. And then the two wide receivers or three wide receivers that sneak in there are Ruggs, Judy, and Lamb. So, uh, you know, with Burrow, oh no, Jefferson at nine too. So he's right behind Jefferson for me. If you wanted to move him up a few spots to get the quarterback, but you know, this is I, I, my concern with Burrow is still remember it's a one-year wonder. I don't think he is a one-year wonder, but he's 24 years old. You know, he just had his coach leave and move over to the Panthers who lit that offense on fire for what he did there. And that's why he's now in the NFL under rule. And if you look at this and you say, there's some concerns that Burrow might not be what we saw at LSU. Maybe he's Andy Dalton. And if he's Andy Dalton, which is fine, but Andy Dalton, you're not getting excited about is saying, oh, I got him at 104 in my rookie draft. You're going to just be like, oh, whatever. I got Andy Dalton. So where does he go in, let's say you're doing a redraft dynasty league amongst quarterbacks versus where he would go in a redraft? Because he's, I don't think he's a top 10 quarterback in redraft. Like, would I rather have Brady or Burrow? I think that's a real discussion if you think that Burrow is going to run. But I'd probably even just lean with Brady in this sense. Like, I, I would for sure rather take my guy, Josh Allen. Oh, a hundred percent. I actually have Josh Allen for pure redraft. I have Josh Allen at eight. Uh, not this isn't redraft dynasty, just pure redraft. I, I would take him, and I would I would take Josh Allen in front of him in a dynasty redraft as well. I wouldn't obviously take Brady or Breeze, but in a pure redraft, I have Joe Burrow at twenty one, and maybe that's too low. But you're it's a rookie. It's a rookie with the uncertainty of what is AJ Green. Even if he is with this team, how healthy? The guy hasn't been on the field essentially for over two years now. So you're looking at a lot of questions to say, and right in front of them, Derek Carr. Derek Carr with now Henry Ruggs and some of the weapons that they added. Uh, you know, Derek Carr, not too long ago, was putting up QB1 numbers when everybody thought he was going to be the next big breakout quarterback, and he made Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree both wide receiver ones in the same year. People seem to have forgotten that. But even let's for throw out Derek Carr. Let's just jump up to 15. You know, is that 15? Baker Mayfield, Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz, Ben Roethlisberger, Breeze, Brady, Stafford, Allen, Rodgers, and now we're inside the top seven. I just don't see how you put a rookie, even a rookie that just came off one of the greatest seasons we've ever seen from a college player. I don't see how you put him in front of those top 15. The argument would have to be that you think that he's going to do a substantial amount of damage with his legs. And I don't know if he is or if he isn't. No, and if you were telling me that they were both starting from day one, Tua would do more damage with his legs. Well, I, Tua in redraft is just impossible to figure out. Cause does, he even, does he even play? No, I'm at 34. 
<laughs> because I think if he does get on the field, I think it's at the end of the year where they, you know, three, maybe four games at the most, unless Fitzpatrick gets hurt. Like even if Fitzpatrick goes and has two, three interception games in a row, like he does at times. And they always turn to the next, I say they, the teams that he's been on, they turn to the other guy. I think the dolphins are going to the season where it's like, we don't want to to start until maybe the end of the like the Patrick Mahomes. You get him a game or two at the end of the year. You go into the next year, and I'm not calling him Patrick Mahomes, everybody, but that's what the Dolphins likely want to do with him. So I don't think that Herbert starts from week one either. That means Tyrod would be playing. Do you think that Tyrod or Herbert possesses more fantasy value this season? Because I think it could be Tyrod. Oh, it's I don't think Herbert plays much at all this year. I think he's fully sold on Tyrod. If nothing else, Anthony Lynn has been consistent, whether or not he's just completely lying to us, which would be great. Hey, cool. You're the best lying coach out there. And, you know, why would you tell us 100% what you're going to plan to do? But since the combine, since before that, everything he said is that he thinks Tyrod's better now than when he was with him in 2016. Tyrod was going to be the guy, going to be the guy, going to be the guy. If the Chargers are in the agreement with me, with Herbert, should not be starting rookie season. But, you know, I also don't think the Chargers should have taken him, period. But Herbert definitely needs to learn. Poor, poor, poor decision-making. Very similar to Jameis Winston coming out of college. But for a fantasy point, not even just him of himself, for fantasy purposes, the receivers, Hunter Henry, Keenan Allen, and Mike Williams, probably see an uptick if Herbert is at quarterback because he's going to be more aggressive and take more chances. And it could go down the Winston route where he's taking more shots downfield. They're on the field more because he's turning the ball over. Like it, it could be an uptick slightly for that, but I, I definitely think it's Tyrod Taylor. I think Tyrod's out there essentially the entire season. Well, let's say Herbert ends up going from week one. Do you think he ends up as the best fantasy rookie quarterback solely because no. he, well, he's another one like Burrow. Like, I don't know how much Herbert's going to run. I never thought that he was a big runner. Then all of a sudden you watch his last game in college. Like, Oh, He's running all of a sudden. What's going on here? It's all that intriguing athleticism that he yeah. had. To, oh, yeah. Hey, so that, Blaine Gabbert. That, that last game really increased his draft stock. <laughs> all of a sudden, for the fact that his entire season was a downtick from the year before with essentially a lot of the same and playing against some pretty poor defenses. And that's why, that's why I have my concerns about Herbert. Now, if they're both starting from week one, I'd still take Burrow. All right. Love, we're just going to scratch off here. Like, <laughs> Come back to me in 2022. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe they trade or cut Rodgers in the offseason, like after this year. Who knows? I doubt it, because why would you do that? But Jordan Love's just going to be a backup for a while. What about Hurts? Didn't we talk about that on your last show? I told you D'Angelo Williams. Yeah. The conspiracy the, theory. Yeah, that Rodgers yeah. is going to the Patriots. I would love for that to happen, just to see the entire world lose their collective. Like, emoji explosion head, just the entire world. What sort of fantasy value do you think that Jalen Hurts has this year? None? None. It's Taysom Hill, you know, who knows what game he's going to get involved with. Like you heard Roseman, as they said, that they're concerned about, you know, the season and if there's still a Corona concern at the time and whether or not you're without your quarterback for three to four weeks because he's quarantined and you have to have a good backup. I get all that. I actually think to go back to the Chargers, I think the Chargers should just waited and drafted Hurts. I think I actually like Hurts more than I like Herbert. I have love and Hurts in tier two by themselves behind Burrow and Tua in tier one. And I put Herbert with the rest, like with the Fromms and the Easons of the world. But I think Hurts, fantasy-wise, if he was starting, that's great. And, you know, I don't think we are fair to say Carson Wentz is 100% injury-prone. at the, I think he's got some bad injury luck so far. But I understand why they did it. So unless Wentz goes down, you're never going to. It's the same thing. Like, are you really ever putting Taysom Hill in your lineup? 
No, unless that unless his role in the offense evolves into a point where he's playing a ton of snaps or playing at least the highest leverage of snaps. No, I don't think that I would. Yeah. But I do I do like and the distinction between injury prone and injury luck when it comes down to it because here's the thing. Is anyone actually injury prone? I have no idea. But when it's someone we like and want to be good, we say bad injury luck. When it's someone we don't <laughs> like, we say that they're injury prone. Now, see, I use it pretty much all across the board. It takes a lot for me to say somebody's injury prone. And the only time I usually go injury prone is if it's soft tissue. Like Alshon Jeffrey, I would say injury prone because there's a lot of soft tissue injuries, you know, in this muscle structure, whatever it might be. Something's not great. No more Garcia Pera end up being injury prone for the baseball people out there. Giancarlo Stanton and Carson Wentz injury bad luck because you know we go back stand for people that don't watch baseball got hit in the face and fractured his jaw like that's injury prone no carson wentz you know diving into the end zone and dude comes across and hits him in the middle of the knee okay it probably wasn't a smart play but it's not like any running and running back that's a perfect example saquon barkley busted his ankle last year he's not injury prone he just made a bad cut and these things happen in the nfl I, the guy that I would always point to that had bad injury luck and didn't like, he had no like structural damage. And maybe he ended up having it, but like Mark, remember Mark Pryor? Yeah. yeah he was <laughs> another Pryor's guy. Another just one. like he got like hit with a baseball and then like couldn't see anymore. It's like, Oh, well yeah, he's, he's real injury prone though. Yeah. That's no, like Brandon cooks is in now injury prone because concussions they do. It's been proven, you know, Wes Welker back in the day, Wes Welker, the more concussions you get, the more likely you are to get the next one. And that it's compounding, it's compounding interest for, for a concussion. You know, those kind of things are like concerning, you know, like you look at some of the running backs, you could a perfect example, Leonard Fournette at the beginning of his career, even coming out of college, people are going, Oh, he's injury prone. Well, it's not anymore. And nobody's going to call him injury prone. Now, like you say the same thing about Darius Geis. So, Dynasty-wise, uh, for these quarterbacks, you say that Burrow, 10th overall amongst rookies just at all positions. Where would the next like, – I assume Tua would be next, but where would he even go? I'm at 14. I think he's going to be a second-round pick. I think he'll, I think that's a fair spot. I could see him sneaking into the first round in some drafts. At 14, if he needed a quarterback, I would just draft him in the first round, and you were on that turn. Right? Well, it depends. on Some rookie drafts just go straight, linear, so it depends. And then – when who's even three and where do they go? Like, do you just roll the dice on Herbert and like hope he's a starter? <laughs> no, I rolled the dice on Love, but they're close. I have Love at twenty four. I have Herbert at twenty seven. I have Hertz at thirty four. I tell you what, Hertz, if he would have ended up on like a third of the different teams in the NFL, would have probably been around sixteen, seventeen for me. Not backing up a guy who was an MVP candidate like two and a half <laughs> years ago. No, not somebody that still that seems has at least two, three years left. You would seems I don't know. You're gonna say you would hope so for Carson Wentz. He has at least two or three years left. <laughs> I mean, that's why I kind of like. They just gave him a hundred million dollars. Yeah. So man, they are quite invested. I wonder when that. Wonder what the loopholes in that contract is, where they can cut him and the dead money doesn't kill them. Oh, that's what. That's what we'll find out. Well, they'll take super quick time over here. Super quick time Act- using the internet. <laughs> Yeah, super quick time. That's my. That's that. That's the opposite of bullet time. Super quick time. I was gonna say super uh, super quick time would actually be a, a real thing that I wouldn't have to use VLC as much. That would be nice. So wow, yeah, they're not getting out of that contract until 2023, maybe. All right, so oh no, a, they have a. Oh. Well, they have a potential out after 2021, but it would be 24.5 in dead cap, even though they have the potential out, and then the 
cap is dead cap is 15 in 2023 and then it doesn't drop down to six until 2024 well you'd think that if you got rid of Wentz I don't think that Hurts is like an elite NFL quarterback and that at his best Wentz would be that if you did make the decision to get rid of Wentz that you'd probably eat the 24 million of dead money just to get rid of him and rebuild God. or hopefully trade that's a hell of a lot of dead money it is. That's why the Giants hung on to Eli Manning. Sure, it's not optimal by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> but here's where we are. Like, if you're going to rebuild, you might as well tear everything down. Uh, sure. And, I might try and, to find a way to buy that out. Yeah, but and <laughs> that, but and that, because one of the things that's hard to do in the NFL in terms of tanking is if you don't have a whole bunch of dead cap money, you just have too many guys. Maybe that some of them are really good, like the Dolphins last year. That all of a sudden, like you're looking good. If you have that dead cap money, that means just you can't sign quality people. Therefore, you have to. <laughs> <laughs> so force yourself into not making good decisions in free agency. Exactly. Yeah, you, you can't have all these sleeper guys on the team being like, "Oh, this guy's a lot better than we thought he was." No. You just can't sign anyone. Oh, yeah. That's, that's good. Spend money not to make money. Exactly. That's, that's how it goes, then, right? Then you get your number one pick, and if Wentz isn't the guy, you move on to your next franchise guy. All right. All right. Hey, I want to be in a company for you when you're willing to throw away $24.5 million. Hey, look, if I get to that point, you can definitely come work for me. Maybe not for – maybe I probably won't pay 100%. you the $24 million that I'm just giving away. I'll pay you like a league minimum or something. Which is still a good, like six hundred k. Yeah, was that like four million? What What is the league minimum now? Because it, it went up. I think it's four hundred and fifty, five hundred thousand bucks. Oh, uh, we get that league minimum NFL. The super quick time over here. It's five ten. Oh wait, no. Yeah, five ten. Five ten in two thousand twenty. Pretty good. I mean, if you want to sign me for five ten and give me eighty percent of that in dead cap to walk away and not work for you anymore, I'll do it. You'll take it. You'll take it right away. <laughs> I'll take the four hundred thousand dollars to not work for you. All right, Jake Seeley, theathletic.com, at allinkid on Twitter. Tell the peoples about the article you were telling me about, which sounds like very busy work, but fun. Uh, it was pretty fun. It was one that, you know, they brainstormed inside the company. Like, you know, it's sports. So we, you no know, baseball going on and actually nothing going on even with it. So it's the NFL draft do-overs. And I took going back to 2013. So from 2013 to 2018, I didn't do last year. It's too early to do that. But 12 busts in the NFL that I projected that if they would have been drafted by a different team, I painted a success story of where they could have, you know, broken out and actually been good. Like Kristen, Michael, everybody, and even Johnny Manziel finding success. What uh, can, can you spoil the team where Manziel could have had success or you want people to read that? No, they can, they can go read it. I mean, like Kristen Michael's there, Bishop Sankey, Darrell Green Beckham. We talked about, you know, like, you know, those, I had Bishop Sankey, or Bishop Sankey, <laughs> Johnny. By the way, Corey Davis is in here too, because yeah, I included him. Titans are just wasting talent every single year. But uh, I Johnny mean, the, the, there going. there is a possibility that Corey Davis just he's not any good. No, but you know, Sankey, Davis, Darrell Green, Beckham. I'm not I'm not saying that they're not their own faults. I'm just saying they're doing a really bang up job of taking the offensive talents. Kendall Wright for his one good season. And you know, turn it into nothing after they get done with them. AJ um, Brown, no, I, AJ Brown is pretty good. Yeah, so you know, yeah, things might be changing, culture might be shifting finally. So we'll find out. We yeah, we have one more season to find out. In any case, uh, Johnny Manziel going to the Houston Texans instead of Deshaun Watson because they didn't draft Deshaun Watson after that because they had Johnny Manziel and it worked out. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure Texans fans uh, w- would love that revisionist history. You, you know, you know who he would have been thrown to as his rookie season: DeAndre Hopkins and Andre Johnson. Back when Andre Johnson was there, was Will Fuller on the team too, or was that the year that Not they yet. took Will Fuller? 
No, that was DeAndre Hopkins, Andre Johnson, Arian Foster. Ooh, not bad. That was a big year for my Arian Foster, too. Johnny Manziel on that team. Success. All right. Jake Sealy, at All and Kid on Twitter. Pat Mayo, at the PME. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Remember to like the video and remember to subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. If you want to hear about running backs, you hit the description of this video and podcast, and boom, we're all good. Tell some friends, share the show around as well. I'm Pat Mayo. Thank you all for watching. I'll see you next time. Pat Mayo Experience! Experience!